0: This passage that we'll look at today gives you a little preview on some levels of the vision of this church. If you're new here, you have picked a great time to join us because you're going to find out what it is we're trying to do. If you have been here a long time, this is a great time for you to be here because you will either be reminded or you'll be finding out what it is we're trying to do. And uh, I've been perusing old sermons. And several sermons uh, given uh, two thousand and eight and earlier, and some of you weren 't here uh, when I was preaching those sermons, in fact, our church felt very different. We used to have pews, and we all faced that way. so if it looks like this sanctuary is weird that 's kind of why, because um, it is weird. We uh, started having more people than we had seats coming to church, so we had to make some arrangements and some changes. And in the coming weeks, you're going to hear why we did that and why we feel that's important and where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do as a church. Today, though, um, I want to look at a, a couple of people in a uh, passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 7. And if you have your Bible, you can feel free to turn there. But don't have the words up just yet, Joyce. In this story, um, it's a great story. It's a great interaction. And I'm finding that I've read it wrong for a long time. I have found that in reading this story that I haven't been completely honest with myself. Do you ever do that? Are you not completely honest with yourself? Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, said, the human heart is deceitful above all things. And I have a heart and I'm human. And so I deceive myself. I seek to deceive other people. And one of the things that happens when you read the Gospels and when you interact with Jesus is you start to see a person, you start to see a man who strips away the deceit, the self-deceit. And he starts to cut to the core, to the quick of who we are. And if you're like me, you don't like it. You don't like that process. You don't like how it looks. You don't like how it feels. You don't appreciate it, especially at first. And we're going to see a man in this passage. He's actually a Pharisee. And years ago, when I would mention the word Pharisee, everybody was taught to go, dun, 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 dun. There we go. Yeah. When you come to the word Pharisee, dun, 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 dun. Because they're like the bad guys. The funny thing is, the scary thing is, church people are most like Pharisees in the Gospels. And when we read this story, you'll see why us churchy people are most like the Pharisee. And that's part of my misunderstanding of this passage for years. And perhaps part of your misunderstanding of this passage for years. We come to this story. And Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house. And listen to how Luke goes about the story. He wants to make it really clear who Jesus is having dinner with. He never gives names of the characters. Now, that's kind of interesting. But he does say this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. How many times did you here, Pharisee in that passage? Twice. A little redundant. Luke's now in the Department of Redundancy department for some reason. He wants you to know that he's gone to the house of a Pharisee and the Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house. The Pharisee did. Okay. So there's a Pharisee. He's asked Jesus to come dine with him at the Pharisee's house, in case you didn't catch that. They're not going out for lunch. It's at his house. It's a Pharisee, by the way. Uh, He went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And this is one of my beefs with our our dining uh, arrangements in our culture. My kids would totally agree with this. Their mom is completely on them sometimes for their manners. Right now, we're working on putting the napkin in your lap. That's what we're working on at our house. If you have pointers on how to help them do that, let me know we work on and they're like this is stupid i'm going to just use it why would i put it in my lap and they have a point now in this culture they reclined at the table doesn't that sound fun i'm picturing lazy boys <laughs> tv trays kicking back in fact a meal in the ancient near east was a social relaxed occasion it was a time where you ate with your hands because that's what they did and you would eat from a common bowl because germ theory had not been worked out completely yet and they would dip their pita bread or they would dip some kind of flat into a common container they're all reclining eating That's what Jesus is doing with this Pharisee. In fact, it was a very intimate thing to eat with somebody back in the ancient world because you were sharing a common (laughs) bowl with them. And when you invited somebody over to your house to eat with you, it was a a very hospitable thing to do. There is Jesus reclining. A woman in that town, we won't name her because everybody knows, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume now you're starting to wonder okay how did this work because when i have people over to my house very rarely if ever do uninvited guests show up and gain access to the meal have you experienced that at your home we're very private we're very independent when we have people over, it's clear who's coming over and who's not coming over. The people who are invited are coming over. The people who weren't invited, they're not coming over. In the ancient world, they didn't have a concept of privacy. They didn't have a concept of, of closed doors. Most homes had an open doors and open windows. It's the ancient Near East, after all. It's not cold there. They had courtyards. They had places that everybody could just walk in and gather in. It's so foreign to us. We, we don't get it. We don't understand this. We don't operate this way. I'm in, an introvert. I definitely don't get this. And this woman, this uninvited guest, and did you hear who she is? She's that woman. I didn't understand these texts somewhat because I grew up in the city. And city life is different than country life. And it doesn't have to do just with traffic. It's a joke, people. It doesn't just have to do with traffic. Maybe it's a bad joke. Amen? Thank you. Maybe it's not just traffic. Maybe uh, in, in a small town, word travels, word gets around. People know your business. People knew my business before I knew my business in a small town. Did you know that Marnie and I are divorced and remarried? I didn't know that until I moved here. That's not true, by the way. But it made the round somehow in town. One time I was leaving church, this church. I had resigned. because, And the way people knew this was because we were selling our home to move to another home in town. But I had resigned my position because we had a for sale sign in front of our house. Word gets around in small towns, even words that aren't true. Now, this woman, word has gotten around. A couple words have gotten around. One word that's gotten around is Jesus is hanging out at whose house? Because, you know, that was said a couple of times. And we need to remember that. He's at the Pharisee's house. Who's a Pharisee? The righteous religious dude. It's like going to pastor's house. You avoid my house. I get it. I understand. You avoid me. I get it. I understand. Because, like, you know, I have this pastoral aura about me that is irritating. I totally get that. I understand. I apologize for that. I can't tell you how many conversations come to a screeching halt when I show up. It's just a power of mine. Pretty similar to the power I have to pray. But other than that, I also have noticed that people quit swearing around me, which is super irritating because swearing is so interesting and entertaining. So when I come, I know I have this squelching ability. I'm pretty sure the Pharisee had that same ability. When he would walk around town, oh, gosh, clean up your tongue. It's the Pharisee. Do you guys hum that when I come places? (laughs) It's the pastor. Don't get any bad ideas. But hey, if it's not fun, you're not doing sin right. Anyways, um, the Pharisee and the sinful woman probably don't hang out much. They probably aren't getting pints down at the bar. They're probably not in the same social circles. She's probably not gone to his home as an invited guest before. Because, did you see what it says? A woman who had lived a sinful life. Luke's creating a contrast for you, Pharisee got his act together, doesn't live a sinful life. Woman who's lived a sinful life doesn't have her act together. What happens? Tension, right? As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. This is getting awkward. You ever had that happen at a dinner party you've held? Uninvited guest shows up weeping. With an alabaster jar? What's that about? Get control of yourself, woman. She began to wet his feet with her tears. That's a lot of crying. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. A couple things should jump out at you. She's weeping. Because she cries so much. You need a towel. You need... This is before bounty existed. And she has to use her hair to wipe his feet. And you might think, oh, that's not a big deal. Use her hair to wipe his feet. She has long hair. However, in that culture... Women always wore their hair up, especially the respectable women in town. It would have been it, it would have been scandalous to let your hair down, especially at a Pharisee's house. This is kind of like you know showing up at the preacher's house with your kid, and they drop a few choice words, and <gasps> you know the air leaves the room, and everybody's gasping. And, freaking out, which I would probably just laugh. I would find it insanely fun. But everybody's gasping at this woman's behavior. She's weeping. She's uninvited. She lets her hair down. She wipes his feet. She kisses his feet. Anybody up for kissing feet? We don't treat feet with much honor. Feet are kind of, well, they're supposed to be in shoes, surrounded by socks, hidden from view, some of us. Feet aren't something that we're just really excited about in our culture. She's kissing his feet. And then she pours perfume on them because they were stanky. No. Because she is anointing him for his coming death. More tension. How's this going to play out? How is the Pharisee, the religious guy, going to handle the sinful woman who's, you know, all over Jesus' feet? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, You ever done that? Like when you're at Walmart? Oh, good Lord. Right? Some of the people at Walmart. Oh, good Lord. Look at her. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, because that's at the core of why the Pharisees had him over to dinner. He's interested in Jesus. He wants to find out more about Jesus. He's heard some rumors that Jesus might be a prophet. He's heard some stuff that Jesus might be some religious dude worth listening to. If this man were a prophet, he's getting his answer. If this man were a prophet, he's starting to say, he ain't a prophet. Because if this man was a prophet, what? He would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. And one of the things when you come to a passage like this in Scripture is you are being pulled into the story. And one of the things when you come to a story like this is you are starting to identify with the characters in the story. You have three options. Jesus, Pharisee, sinful woman. Those are your three options. Three choices. This is Luke writing literature. It's masterful. So, since we're all churchy people and we know better than to pick Jesus, let's cross him out. Because we know, well, that's the Son of God in the flesh, probably not him that we should identify with. So now we're t- down to two options Pharisee, on purpose trying to follow Jesus, not Jesus, on purpose trying to follow God guy. On purpose, trying to make God happy guy. On purpose, trying to do the right thing guy. On purpose, good citizen of Israel guy. Choice A. Choice B. That woman. Good Lord woman. Sinful woman. Now, if you're like me, and I'm pretty sure you are, Luke has set you up to pick slot A. He set you up for this. Because I don't care how sinful you might think you are. You can always find somebody who's more. You can always find that woman or that man in town. You can always in your mind go, Yeah, I'm bad, but come on, (laughs) that guy the nerve that he has to show up today, you know. And there's two separate categories in this story. There's two categories of people in our church right now. There are those who are going, I can't believe they're here today. And there are those who go, I can't believe I'm here today. You're in one of the other category. And Luke has set us up, I think, to identify with the Pharisee. Because we're all good Americans. We're all good Christians. We would all self-identify for the most part when they ask us on the Gallup poll survey when they call us at home. So are you a Christian? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a good American citizen. Luke set you up. Now watch what he does. He's about to drop the hammer. If you don't get to read the Bible often, you need to. If this is all the Bible you get this week, you ain't getting enough. Jesus answered him. Actually, we do learn his name, don't we? Simon. I have something to tell you. Now, when Jesus says these words to you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Another way to render this is I have a story for you. And when Jesus says he got a story for you, you're in trouble. It's kind of like when I sit my kids down. Hey, this is a teachable moment. Oh, another one of those. Stop it with the teachable moments. We'll quit being an idiot, and then we won't have as many teachable moments. Does it work that way at anybody else's house, or is that just mine? Maybe I'm too harsh on my kids. Sorry, kids, love you. Simon, I have something to tell you. Now listen how he responds. Because he's a Pharisee, and he's a good guy. Do you remember what he said earlier? If this guy were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him. Tell me, teacher. Tell me, teacher. What do you have to tell me? He's clueless. He doesn't see the he doesn't see he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it coming. He has no idea. Oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. Luke and Jesus have set the guy up. Remember who also is being set up. You. Luke's setting us all up. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. If you're a teacher, don't you... That kid just bugs you a little bit? You like them because at least they, they're compliant, but they don't really get it. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which I don't know what that is in yen. I'm still working that out. And the other 50... Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, because he's at the front of the class. He's an A student. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Do you think the trap has sprung on him yet? Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You ever do that? We did it in prayer. <laughs> we turn towards God, but we say to our spouse, <laughs> don't we? We we turn to our boss, but we're saying to our coworker, that's what's going on here. Jesus, he turns towards who? You see, as scandalous as it was for her to let her tear hair down, to show up uninvited, to cry and weep on his feet, to wash his feet, it was equally as scandalous to be a bad host. But he's a Pharisee. Jesus saying, you bad host. Don't ask Jesus over for dinner. He's a bad guest. You're a bad host. He is standing there judging the woman. And who is Jesus judging? Who is Jesus' words at? The on purpose sinner? Or the guy trying to be all that? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? (laughs) You got to act it out sometimes. It makes it far more interesting. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who had a good dinner party that night? I think Jesus had a blast, number one, because he likes to mess with us in good ways. And I think the woman left going, I am so glad I showed up uninvited at that. I'm so glad I had the nerve to weep, to let my hair down, to wipe his feet, to anoint him. I am so glad that I love Jesus. Now, why does she love Jesus? It tells us right there, she's been forgiven much. How did that happen? I have no idea. Luke doesn't go into that. He doesn't tell us the prayer she prayed. He doesn't tell us how this all occurred. All it tells us was she showed up at Jesus' feet weeping as a sinner. And Jesus saw that as an act of repentance and love. I found that I've read this wrong for many years because I thought, you know what? <clears throat> it's okay to be the Pharisee and love little. It's okay. He still loves them. Just a little bit. I often thought that's okay. I mean, I'm not one for boisterous, you know, shows of love and PDA and all that nonsense anyways. That's not me. Sometimes I cry at the end of a sermon, but then I go home feeling like an idiot because I let myself cry again, you know. I'm not one for, you know, raising hands at church, really. I'm not one for just, you know, really being extroverted, demonstrating how I feel or what I think. That's not me. I'm pretty reserved. I play it close to the vest sometimes. And this woman makes me uncomfortable. I don't identify with her. Pharisee, I and I identify with him. I go, ah, that's a church guy. I, I know who this guy is. He's me. I see him. I get it. He loves Jesus a little bit. That's good for me. I got the American dream and a little bit of love of Jesus too. And that's the dude that Jesus is just taking behind the woodshed, people. That's the dude who didn't leave with his sins forgiven, folks. That's the one that Jesus leaves in his sin. Why? Because he likes it. What's his sin? Self-righteousness. That's his sin. Think he's better than her? He has these idols in his heart. He has these ways that he thinks he's right with God. It's how he looks. It's how he dresses. It's how he talks. It's who he hangs out with. It's his house. It's his car. It's his 401k. It's his blessings. It's I'm at the right church at the right time with the right people. He looks the part. Jesus says, you think you're the hostess with the mostest? He says, you ain't all that. You ain't all that. This woman, you know, the good Lord woman, you should think of the Lord when you think of her. Because she's the one who loves the Lord. She's the one that repented. She's the one that fell down weeping. She's the one that sees the depth of her sin. And she's the one that leaves forgiven There's two kinds of people here today, according to this passage. There's those who get it. There's those who see the depth of their sin. There's those who understand, I am a sinner in the hands of an angry God. But then they find out, this guy ain't so angry with me. This guy loves me. Now, why does Jesus love her so much? It's not because she's really good at sinning. It's because she's repenting. It's because she falls at his feet crying and weeping and wailing and just broken over her brokenness. She gets it. And why is he not all excited about the Pharisee? Because the Pharisee doesn't see. That's a good one, right? The Pharisee doesn't see. Do you see? Do you see yourself correctly? Do you understand who you are before Jesus? Do you get it? Do you understand that even though you've got your act all together, you're in the right place with the right people at the right times, that you have your, your wonderful little pretty life? Do you understand that you are trusting in the wrong things for your righteousness? Do you understand that you are putting your hope, you're building your life upon things that are other than Jesus If you don't know how to diagnose this in yourself, let me help you. What is it you ultimately trust for your self-worth in life? What is it you ultimately trust for your self-worth in life? Is it your kids, moms? Oh, my kid's a great little kid. You know, when they come home from school and the teacher goes, Oh, they're just such great little angels. I just love them. I just want to eat them up. And your just heart just bursts and you're like, oh, Mom of the Year. And you just think, that's what I live for. I live for those moments where somebody recognizes my kid for the cool little things they are. Men, are you living for recognition in what you do? How often have you had this conversation? So, what do you do? What are we doing when we say, what do we do? I'm tempted when I'm with people I don't know to lie. (laughs) Because to tell them I'm a pastor is such a bummer. It is a downer on discussions. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) I got a book to read. Uh, I got places to be, oh, look at the time. It's just who I am. It's what I do. I walk around ruining conversations. Why do I want to lie? Why is that in me? Because I don't want to be seen as a that guy, you know, Paul. I'll hit this in a few weeks. Paul and Athens, where the philosophers and the really smart people in town were like, what's this babbler babbling about? Because that's how preachers are? What's this babbler babbling about? I don't want to be that guy. What do you do? Uh, Babble about stuff at church. I'm sure that's what people think. I want to lie about that. I want a cool job, you know. I'm a secret agent of the CIA. I dig tunnels. Something cool. Interesting, you know. I clean porta potties. I mean, those are way more interesting than I'm a pastor. Way more interesting. I'd even pick accountant sometimes. You saw that coming. Why do we want to say we do things different than we really do? I've wanted to lie about who I or excuse me, not who I was, but what I did many, many times in my life. Because when I was delivering pizzas at Domino's, what do you do? <laughs> Delivery guy at the pizza place? How long you been there? Too long. In fact, whenever somebody asked us, any of the drivers, the answer was, I deliver pizzas, but I'm really going to school. <laughs> But I'm trying to get that thing where I'm going to be like, you know. Why? Because we are defining ourselves by what we do. When I was a custodian at a church, so what do you do? Clean porta potties at a church? I wanted to lie about that. Why? Because we're sizing ourselves up. That's why we ask that question. So what do you do? It's what we're we're jostling. It's like the pecking order of modern society. How do I size up with you? Back in the old days, they just would like hit each other and like, okay, you punch harder than me. Now we just go, what do you do? Oh, you make more money than I do, so I'm not as good as you. Or I make more, so I'm better than you. What do you find your ultimate worth in? What are you finding your self worth, your valuation in? What are you trusting? If it's not Jesus, it's an idol. And the interesting thing with this is Jesus has a tendency to strip that away from you. It's just kind of something he enjoys. So there are people... Who value themselves too highly, and they find their name on the dark web, revealed that they were having an affair on Ashley Madison website. And Jesus just has a tendency to regularly knock us down a few pegs. What are you trusting in for your self worth, for your identity? Sports, kids, career. Adjectives like smart, successful, handsome, beautiful, skinny. Christian. Upstanding citizen, Republican, Democrat. Conservative, liberal, libertarian, prepper. Construction worker, bank teller. I think that's why old age happens to us. If you're old, maybe you've experienced this. You see, I used to identify as an athlete. <laughs> you know that's hard to believe. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. I used to play sports, and I got a lot of accolades. Accolades. I used to play trumpet, still do occasionally, and it's not very pretty. And I was a trumpet player, and that's how I got my self-worth. I used to be a guitarist. I was going to be a rock star, and that's what was going to be my contribution to the world. And I was going to get all of my all of my, worth out of that. Then I got married, and I was going to get my self-worth out of my wife. <laughs> and I quickly found out, She can't bear the weight of my self needs. She can't bear it. She wasn't made to. She can't. She can't define me. And I can't be that for her. Then we had kids. We still have them. They haven't moved out yet. And there's a tendency to identify yourself based on what your kid can or can't do. And as we age, slowly but surely, some of these things get stripped away from us. And eventually, we find ourselves with us and God. And who do you define yourself by? What do you define yourself by? It will all one day be stripped away. Charm is deceitful, but beauty, and beauty is vain. But the fear of the Lord lasts forever. May we be this woman. May we be the people who go, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm cool with that. I'm not really cool with that, but I'm okay with being identified as such. Because ultimately, they're the ones. The ones who are broken, the ones who are ruined, the ones that are messed up, the ones who recognize that, the ones who are willing to say it, and the ones who fall at their feet of Jesus and weep and wail and cry are the ones who leave whole. Did you see what Jesus said? Go in shalom. Peace doesn't do it justice. Peace doesn't, it's not a big enough word. We don't have a good enough word in English. What Jesus is saying is, you are whole. You are healed. Your repentance, your faith has fixed you because you turned in faith to the fixer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words once again from the Holy Spirit who said, print it, that's good Bible. Thank you that we live in a country where we can grab this thing and read it and we can be challenged with stories like this at any moment. And I pray, Father, that as we read, the Holy Spirit would open our words, our minds to words, to concepts, to ideas, to things that we often can't see and figure out on our own but I pray we'd discipline ourselves to read. And I pray, Father, that we would not be the Pharisee who doesn't see. We wouldn't be self-righteous, religious people looking down our nose at sinful people that we would all understand, that we are all sinners in the hands of a gracious and merciful God who loves us and wishes that we would all repent and be saved. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Weep at the feet of your Savior so that you might be saved and be made whole. Amen.